Allô, bienvenue à NPR Planète L'Argent. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Hannah Jaffe Wall. Today is Tuesday, March 16th, and this is a special direct from Haiti podcast. Adam, you and I are right now in downtown Port-au-Prince in our second week of reporting here. And today on the podcast, we're bringing you our interview with Prime Minister Jean-Max Bellerive. That's right, Hannah. But first, the Planet Money Indicator. Even in Haiti, we have a Planet Money Indicator. It is $50 billion. Are you sure, Hannah? I'm pretty sure it's $3.5 billion. Oh, actually, it might be $14 billion. See, the, the indicator is how much money Haiti needs as a result of this earthquake. And we don't know the answer because nobody knows the answer. We've actually heard every one of those estimates. We've heard lots of other estimates. But for now, anyway, there is no consensus number. But there are thousands of people trying to figure it out. That is the main reason we are here in Haiti. We've been trying to track how everyone involved comes up with this number, how basically the world and the Haitian government come together to do something that hasn't happened in a very long time to create a self-sustaining Haitian economy and one that doesn't depend on constant aid from the rest of the world. And we're very excited to bring you a conversation with a man at the very center of these decisions, the Prime Minister of Haiti. Right. You've probably heard a lot about René Preval. He's the president. He is, of course, the head of state. But Jean-Max Bellerive runs the Haitian government day to day. He invited us to his house, the large official prime minister's residence. We sat with him next to a wall that looked like it was about to collapse because it was on us. It was very badly damaged in the earthquake. And he told us what every Haitian tells you these days, his earthquake story. And Prime Minister Bellarive's office is up on a hill from the presidential palace. It's normally like a 15-minute drive to downtown to the palace. But The night of the earthquake, the roads were filled with rubble and abandoned cars. So he got on the back of some stranger's motorcycle and rode down the hill. And it took him a while to realize how big a deal this was. You see all the little problems. Uh, You don't see the big perspective. At least I didn't see the big perspective. I was going down. I see a man, a, a group of people trying to save a, save a man in their house who just, were just giving hands. We, we, we get to other places, people needed to be evacuated to go to some hospital, you just give them the information. So it was a, a sequence of not little things, but it was big drama for those people. It was, but it was just a sequence of reaction to uh, a dra- personal uh, small dramas. And when I get to the president's house at a time, a lot of people were arriving, and we were gathering the information, and at a time we realized the scale of what happened. And we say, okay, at a time, the first reaction is, okay, we have to ask for some help, because obviously, no communication, everybody is, all the ministry are destroyed, we have to get some help. And we send people to French embassy, destroy. We send people to uh, the, uh, the Minusta, destroy. So we say, wow. <laughs> Even the people that are supposed to help us are in a bad situation. 
MINUSTA, by the way, is the huge UN mission here. It's UN peacekeeping forces, police, hospitals, and the UN lost nearly 100 people, including its top two officials. It's hard to explain how big a deal the UN is in Haiti. I mean, it's almost like the UN is a, a shadow government. Haiti has no army. The UN is the Haitian army, effectively. Haiti has a very small and relatively new police force, so the UN is effectively in charge of the police. And even before the earthquake, the UN fed a lot of Haitians, brought water to a lot of Haitians, provide basic care to a lot of Haitians. Right, it's huge here. So it's not just that Haiti lost the people that would help the country respond to a major disaster. They lost the people who helped the country run every day. And at this moment, as Prime Minister Jean-Max Bellarive is on the back of this motorcycle, you know, maybe the darkest moment in Haiti's really dark history, Bellarive realizes he might have just been handed the chance, the, the break, the ability to completely alter Haiti's destiny. Chance, break, ability. <laughs> Hannah, I'm noticing that you are very studiously avoiding the word opportunity. He, you did not say that he was handed the opportunity to change Haiti's destiny. I was trying very hard to avoid that word. He doesn't like that word. Right. John Max Bellarive, the prime minister, told us that he thinks it's really tasteless to use the word opportunity. Although I have to say, Hannah, it's probably the word we hear the most from Haitians these days, how this is an opportunity. John Max Bellarive, by the way, says that there are a lot of words he does not like to use these days. One of them is decentralization. That was really popular a few weeks ago. Everyone was saying, oh, we have to move people out of Port-au-Prince. It's this ridiculously overcrowded city. We have to get people to have a reason to stay in other parts of the country. But for a variety of reasons, a lot of Haitian government officials do not like the word decentralization. So John Max Bellarive uses the new official word deconcentration. Haiti's refoundation must be based on deconcentration. <laughs> That's another big one. That's actually maybe the biggest one. Refoundation, as in we need to start writing the plan for Haiti's refoundation as opposed to reconstruction. People here don't like the word reconstruction because reconstruction means building what Haiti had before, and nobody wants that. Normally, you are rebuilding a country after a disaster. What we had before the disaster was a, a country where the wealth was not well distributed, where you had too much concentration of the population in the same place. And those, are, of course, are just some of the problems. Haiti famously has some of the worst roads in the world. We were on the national road, the national road, and it is in many parts just an unpaved gravel mess. And that's from before the earthquake. There's all sorts of problems here. And of course, Bellarive knew all that the day he was appointed, you know, long before the earthquake. He knew it 10 years ago when he was an advisor to the prime minister then. But suddenly, on January 12th, right after the earthquake, he's standing there right outside the collapsed presidential palace, and he has this new thought. Wow, if you have to rebuild that country that was so badly built without urbanism, without land management, with, uh, with over-concentration of population in one place. So population, we have to sit back and see what are we going to do because obviously we will need a lot of money to do that. Obviously we will need a lot of efforts to do that. Let's make it right. And it was immediate. It was, it was not a process to get there. Opportunity is a strong word under all those deaths, but we immediately see the opportunity to 
do what perhaps no government will have the guts to do, move population, destroy house where they have to be destroyed because they were not safe. So we see at the same time all those opportunities that could give to the government more authority to decide we have to do that, we have to do that, before people were, had not paid the price and perhaps would not have not understood what uh, has, has to be done. For example, very rapidly, some people say, you knew that you were in a seismic zone and you didn't do anything. What should have been uh, done? Destroy the National Palace and rebuild it? Destroy the Parliament and rebuild it? Destroy 250,000 homes and rebuild it? It was not possible at that time. You have no money to do that. You would have, uh, have get no support for the international community at that level of reconstruction that you needed. So you have no real choice. So now he has a choice, a choice that no Haitian leader has ever had. He gets to choose how to rebuild. How to refound, Adam? Refound. Right, right. How to refound Haiti the way it should be, deconcentrated, seismically sound, more equal, actually self-sustaining. But there's one more thing he needs to achieve that. He needs money. And unfortunately, asking the world for money after a disaster is something Haitian leaders have a lot of experience with. We know that solidarity when you have a disaster is a short wave. If you don't nurture it, it will fade. So we have to keep contact. We have to build agreements uh, with them. We have to breed uh, conventions with them so it will be more solid. It seems the world is going to respond more than it ever has before. Port-au-Prince is packed full with people planning the refounding of the country. I know. Just I can't even list all the people we personally have met in the last week and a half who are here in Haiti, analyzing and planning the new refoundation of Haiti. There are a lot of them. I'm just thinking through like some of the people. So on Monday, you remember we were with the deputy mayor of Newark, New Jersey, who's in town as a volunteer with the International Rescue Committee, a big NGO. They're trying to get small businesses up and running. On Wednesday, we were with the World Food Program. They're doing all this analysis of the local economy to try and support it so that Haiti can feed itself when the World Food Program no longer provides free rice. And uh, we met this group of private sector people who are writing their own plan. We actually spent most of the week in this big room filled with hundreds of people from probably more than 20 different countries, couldn't count how many international agencies, all sitting around tables, figuring out exactly what needs to be done in Haiti in water, in housing, in roads, in health, in education. There's this whole table of guys. We went up to them and said, what are you working on? And they said, oh, we're working on solid waste removal. <laughs> they were the specialists in human waste. So, so this, this is called the PDNA, the Post-Disaster Needs Assessment. And it's a process that the UN and the World Bank and the European Commission have where they go, you know, they fly hundreds of experts into countries that have faced a crisis. And the experts at the end of this process come out with a report that's used as a guide to what was damaged and how much it's going to cost to fix things. So on March 31st, the end of this month, they'll present the final report in New York. The UN is holding a major donors conference. And the world will come together then and decide how much to give Haiti, what to spend their money on. 
And we kept hearing from high-level Haitian government officials, from big-shot Haitians in the private sector, that they're actually really worried about this room. They are worried about the fact that there are all these international aid experts writing this international PDNA document that's going to be used by the international community to decide what to fund and what not to fund and basically how to re-found Haiti. And they keep saying, you know, we want this process to be run by Haitians. Well, yeah, but the, the process is actually invited by Haiti. The Haitian Prime Minister Bellarive invited the PDNA to happen in Haiti. Um, but it's been, you know, it's, it's been complicated. The UN set up a massive tent on their base to host all the people coming in for the PDNA. That was what happened first. But then the Haitian government said no, they wanted it moved to something that was more like more <laughs> Haitian. So they rented a local hotel, the Caribe, to host the PDNA. And officially, there's an advisory group that oversees the PDNA process, and it has several Haitian members appointed by Prime Minister Bellarive. But I got to say, Hannah, I mean, we've spent a lot of time in this room, and it it's pretty clear. You see all these little work groups, the infrastructure group, the health group, the education group, and it, it seems pretty clear. Yes, there are some Haitians at each table, but the international experts are the ones really who seem to be calling the shots. I mean, after all, they are the ones who do this all the time. They, they fly around the world doing this kind of analysis. The Haitians, for the most part, have not had that experience. Right. Well, you mentioned all that to Prime Minister Bellarive. We talked to a Spanish guy who's looking at roads and, and who's dealing with ports. We talked to a Colombian guy who's dealing with health. We talked to an Australian guy who's looking at macroeconomic conditions. And all of these people are reporting to a team that's Dutch and German and Salvadoran and, and Mexican. And, and it becomes confusing. Is it, in America, you know, we have the saying, he who pays the piper calls the tune. And with all the money coming from the World Bank, the U.S., are, are they, I guess I'm asking, like, uh, who, who gets to be in charge of, of the refoundation of Haiti? I am. Uh, because basically, you go to the Caribbean uh, uh, place where you have all those experts coming from all over the world, but it's only the, the tip of the iceberg. You have the ministry working. I, I receive reports of all the ministry, and they are working in the ministry, giving them their program, their project, their plan. We have those meetings after they close the Caribbean at 6, 7. I have those meetings here sometimes until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and we are building a national, a nation proposition from that. What we are going to present in New York is not the PDNA. The PDNA is the basis for us to propose something, but it will be a nation proposition based on the work of the expert of the PDNA when we feel it necessary to use it. But the, 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 the main team that is working on the proposition, uh, on the programs, the project that are going to be proposed for funding are Haitians. But I, I, I don't, uh, it's not for me something uh, about sovereignty. It's not about nationalism. It's about efficiency. We strongly believe, the president, myself, and the government, that if you don't use Asian, if you don't make a plan made by Asian for the Asian, it won't work. It didn't, uh, it didn't work the last 50 years. It's not going to work now. You have to put the Asians at the center of what the Asian needs. I believe that we have some small comparative advantage to know what we need. <laughs> you might have heard that noise as we were talking. That was 
a U.S. Army helicopter flying over the Prime Minister's house. Yes, they fly around a lot here. So, Adam, I mean, there is a reason why everyone is being so careful about words here and about protocol. This is a very delicate dance. The Prime Minister told us that he knows, he knows, the world thinks that the Haitian government is corrupt and ineffective. He thinks that's based on historical events and is no longer true, by the way. And actually, Hannah, you remember when we finished the interview, he said that he was really surprised we didn't ask more about corruption, because usually foreign journalists that interview him just want to ask him all about corruption. Right, he said, aren't you going to ask me if I'm corrupt? But, you know, so clearly he knows much of the world doesn't trust the Haitian government. And at the same time, plenty of Haitian officials told us in our time here that, you know, they think the international community is a disorganized mess and is pursuing their own agendas. So here's what has to happen in the next two weeks. It is really daunting. The world has to figure out how to give billions of dollars to a country whose government they fundamentally don't trust. And the Haitian government has to figure out how to let this... You know what, Hannah? I'm just going to use the word. It's the right. It's the, Do it. Yeah, the Haitian government has to figure out how to let this opportunity for long-term economic growth. And frankly, for the government to gain more power over the country at the same time. Right. For the government to become stronger and the economy to become stronger. They have to figure out how to prevent that opportunity from being destroyed by international politics and mistrust. So we're going to keep a careful eye on this. This drama is playing out right now very intensely here, especially in Port-au-Prince. And over the next couple of weeks, it'll move to Santo Domingo, to New York. We're going to be following it all the way to the donor conference that happens at the end of this month in New York and beyond. But that's all for this installment of Planet Money Haiti. You can read more about our trip, including an update on Yves Rose, the Haitian micro-entrepreneur we profiled a few weeks back. That's at npr.org money. And you can always send us your thoughts, feelings, suggestions to planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Kana Jaffe-Walt. Thanks for listening. Oh,